Hello, and welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you get to hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Sherry Turnbow of Bespoke Southerly. So welcome to the show, Sherry. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So for those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the founder and um, head of Bespoke Southerly, which is a women's uh, customizable clothing brand. Um, We actually uh, launched with dresses. So right now that's really our core category, um, cocktail and formal wear dresses. Um, But that is who I am. I'm the the head honcho over here. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, So let's kind of go back to the beginning. Um, How did Bespoke Southerly start? Well, um, it was pretty simple, actually. I, um, my husband and I really love entertaining. We throw a lot of parties and we go to a fair number of charity events and galas. And I always struggle to find a dress that not only was like my style, but was in the right color for, for you know, my Thanks skin tone or was made really well. Um, I grew up in the South and, um, my aunt was actually a big influence in my life. And she always taught me that less is more. So this idea of owning, you know, a few really high quality pieces of clothing versus having, you know, a stuffed closet was really ingrained in me at an early age. And so as I, you know, as an adult shopping for dresses for various events, I was always disappointed in the quality and the selection at your typical sort of department store. And so really ultimately I thought to myself, you know, (laughs) I think I can do this. I actually think that I could design something that was classic and timeless that I would want to wear over and over again, um, that was made really well, that could stand up to multiple dry cleanings and would be unique enough to my style that You know, I wouldn't show up at the event and, you know, three other women were wearing the same dress. Um, I mean, I have no issue with, you know, renting like um, some of those great companies that started the rental services. I can definitely see a need for that and a desire for that, particularly if you're looking for something that's like really on trend and, you know, or, or you need something last minute and maybe it's, you know, a theme, a theme event and it has to be a specific color, you know, a white party Mm -hmm. and you don't have a white dress, but to have things in your wardrobe that you can enjoy time after time and that are flattering and timeless and well-constructed just seemed like that, you know, was, was something kind of impossible to find. So, um, so that was really the impetus of the, of the business was to create some timeless silhouettes um, and to allow women to choose the colors that they, that are most flattering to them to add details that they want, like, Pockets. I mean, pockets, a little pocket for your mm-hmm. lipstick. The greatest thing, right? It's really, it's like, how did we not have those before? Um, you know, the trims, you know, you may be, you may love ruffles. You may love bows. Um, you may be tall. You may be short. You know, what's the perfect hem length for you? So with our dresses, you're able to kind of co-create your dress by adding those little details and ordering any hem length in any one inch increment. 
um, to really kind of make it your own and for it to be something that you will enjoy wearing time after time. So nice. does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, it does. And I totally agree. It's like having kind of those go-to pieces that you know, like, I feel really confident in this and it fits me well and it's a good go-to piece for where you don't have to like stress out about what am I going to wear to this event? Exactly. You have it in your closet. And, and just to, just to follow up on that one other point that I kind of made early on is about also the quality, you know, all of our dresses are made. Um, currently they're all hundred percent silk. They're lined in silk, which keeps you really cool and comfortable. Um, but that was another thing I found is like, there's, you know, most of the dresses are polyesters and, mm-hmm. um, you know, polyester has its place in our wardrobes, but not necessarily in my opinion, in formal wear. Um, if you want a little stretch, you know, you can find um, fabrics that have a little bit of stretch in them. But again, going back to this idea of really, you know, quality and structure and the way that it's um, made, that it will last. You know, it's an investment piece. It's not meant to be throwaway fast fashion. Yeah, kind of, you know, it sounds like it's a sim- similar use and quality to um, like a nice men's suit. You know, every, every guy has like, you know, one or two nice suits that they, you know, wear to events and it's an investment. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because that's sort of one of our talking points <laughs> that okay. I use when I try to explain to people the, the business model and our approach is I talk about men's suiting and the way that a man can go into, you know, a, a, a wide variety of stores with a wide variety of price, price points and, you know, pick a fabric and get a cuff on the, you know, the hem of the pant or, do a flat front or a pleated front pant and they, you know, and they have all sorts of peak lapel or, you know, different types of options that they have and that they can have their suits made. And they've been able to do that for decades. And it's never really something that women have been able to do unless you can afford couture, which, Mm -hmm. you know, most of us would aspire to, but most of us cannot. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe for a wedding dress, but right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So once you kind of had this idea and saw this kind of need for um, more customized high-end formal wear for women, how did you actually, you know, turn that into a business and, and make it work, like you said, like so smoothly, like what men's suits have been doing for so long? Yeah. Well, it was um, early days, obviously, I vetted the idea through like a lot of friends and family and even perfect strangers that I would meet in various scenarios. And there seemed to be a lot of enthusiasm. So I felt like I was kind of onto something. But I do not have a formal um, fashion design background. So I knew I was going to need to partner with a lot of really talented people to kind of make it make it all come together. So um, while I have the vision and I, you know, sketched out all of the, the dress designs and really knew what I wanted in terms of things like the strapless dress, I knew I wanted um, interior corsets and boning because um, you don't have to worry about what undergarment to wear with it. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it'll stay up. You're not constantly kind of yanking it up, which is one of my pet peeves when you're out at a formal event and you're wearing a strapless dress and you're constantly kind of pulling it up because it's slipping. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew all of those things that I wanted. I just, because I, you know, don't have a degree in fashion design, I wasn't exactly sure. um, Like I couldn't pull out my sewing machine and, and whip that up. You know, I can maybe Mm -hmm. pair of curtains, but I'm not an accomplished seamstress. So 
I actually started um, researching a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, manufacturing partners and pattern makers. I started really working my network um, from my early days in the fashion industry. I was in, I was actually kind of on a, a different side of the fashion industry. I worked as an agent for models. And so I knew a lot of people in the fashion industry tangentially, like photographers and other agents. Mm -hmm. So I started working those connections and trying to get uh, a network together of people that I could talk to. And so literally took a trip to New York, interviewed people, started, you know, trying to get as much information and, and gain as much knowledge as I could. And ultimately was able to put together after, after a few rough starts and some, a few failures, um, but put together a great team of people, including um, a couture pattern maker who used to work at Bagley Mishka and currently has a lot of really um, well-known designer clients. And she had just started her own business and was willing to work with me and so she actually created all of my patterns and we worked very closely together to uh, create the initial samples. And um, she worked with me with a, I had a, I hired a fit model, which was, I was able to do again, because I had all of those former connections. Mm-hmm. I hired a great fit model who had done fittings for Vera Wang and, and a lot actually even for J crew. And so we really just perfected the designs and, um, I found a manufacturing partner that kind of understood what I was going for, which was also, that's, I'll have to go off on a tangent about that in a minute, but um, put together the team and just kind of went for it. I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so in a way that really helped because I think if I had known everything up front, I might not have, um, I might not have gone for it. Interesting. Um, so I want to back up a little bit and what, what was your background before in fashion? You mentioned you don't have a fashion background yeah. necessarily like yeah. uh, in the industry. Yeah. Well, so when, um, when I was, when I first graduated from the university, I did work in the fashion business. I was an agent for like, as I mentioned for several years for, um, models and, and other, and actors. Um, and so I had a lot of connections in that space, but then I did transition at one point I was working, um, in retail at an in-house ad agency at a very large retailer, national retailer, and produced all of their photo shoots and a lot, did a lot of production management. So I kind of have like that, you know, that end of the fashion business, Mm -hmm. which has been really invaluable because I, you know, I used to work with merchandisers and, um, just really kind of people from all different aspects of like the behind the scenes stuff when it comes to um, actually, you know, selling fashion. So that yeah, was really And that's helpful. just as important as the design. Yeah. Oh, it is. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of times people say, oh, you're a designer. And I say, well, yes, but I actually identify more strongly as an entrepreneur and as a business person, because that's really what takes up more of my time than the design aspect, even though mm-hmm. that's the more fun part and definitely works the creative side of my, my brain. The, um, the reality is, is that you have to be a business person or you're not, you know, unless you hire somebody, obviously you have a partner that has that sort mm-hmm. of mindset, but you can't, you can't launch a brand without being a business person. Yeah, so. Definitely. So then after that, um, after, uh, you know, many years working kind of in that 
area of business, I made a transition to work in nonprofit because I was, I really wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful. To be honest with you, I was sort of tired of advertising and you know, fashion and retail. And so I did get a, uh, I had a few positions in marketing and sustainability for large international nonprofits. And so what's interesting about that is working in sustainability and working on corporate engagement, working with companies to try to get them to, you know, we used to call it greening the operations. That's a little bit of a sort of an old fashioned way of saying it these <laughs> days, but Basically, you know, looking at how they can uh, have more sustainable business practices and working with them with our with the um, conservation and scientific community to to make that a reality. So that was something that when I decided to uh, launch this business, I was able to take not only those early days of sort of fashion and retail experience, but also my sustainability related experience because I could embed sustainability into the brand from the ground up. And yeah. The, yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of, it was kind of amazing to think about, you know, my career journey and how it was all coming together because while sustainability was very important to me personally, the business model that I envisioned actually lent itself perfectly to sustainability because if you're not creating massive amounts of inventory that may never be sold, and end up in landfills or be burned, you're creating garments one at a time on demand. And that's what we wanted to do so that women could choose the custom details and the hem length and add the pockets, et cetera. So we would cut one garment at a time just for that customer. And by virtue of doing that, it's an incredibly sustainable business model because you don't have excess inventory waste but you also don't have excess fabric waste. I mean, there's a whole slew of things that make it much more sustainable. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. So, and I mean, even working uh, with, with partners only in the United States. Um, so we only manufacture in the United States. And we, I made that decision because one, I wanted to support local communities, um, but I also, and I wanted to make sure we were paying living wages with good working conditions. I didn't want to have any issues related to that, but we also wanted to know the people that we're working with. Like I've visited the factories. I've met the people that actually sew the garments. And so there's a trust factor there. There's, there's, it's just a whole different level of quality that you get when you actually know the people that you're working with. And it's not, you know, this sort of um, imaginary place around the world, <laughs> some other place around, you know, it's not, I mean, frankly, they're, you know, they're not in Asia. So um, we're able to really communicate with them very effectively and, and ensure that there's a high degree of quality as well as feel very comfortable about their working conditions and, um, you know, what they're being paid and how they're being treated. Yeah, yeah, and that's so important too. So was it difficult to find um, the right like team and you know factory partner to um, to fit in with that model, or kind of what was the journey like putting that piece of the puzzle into the business? So that that's a great question because it was probably the hardest part. Um, I, I mean, as you can imagine, yes, <laughs> because you're in the business, you know. So yeah, 
There's um, not many factories that do made on demand in the U.S. There's, especially. Yeah. There's not in the U.S. especially, right? And um, it is because you know that that has not been the way clothing has been made, really. You know, for decades, and so you definitely have to try to find people that are open-minded, can kind of see the future and are also willing to take a chance on a brand. I mean, I will say again, I had, I had started out with one manufacturing partner that said all the right things, seemed to really have the infrastructure in place to be able to manage um, the process. And it was a total disaster. And so, you know, early days, the brand, we lost a lot of, you know, um, funds as well as, um, you know, we had quality control issues. Mm -hmm. So we were ultimately able to find um, a manufacturing partner that interestingly enough, the founder of that company had worked with Amazon on their book um, manufacturing model, which I never even realized that when you order a very popular title on Amazon, like a bestseller from a very well-known author, Amazon doesn't have a million copies of that sitting in a warehouse. They actually print those on demand. And so they have a system oh, for doing. I know, right? Who knew? I didn't even know that, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously smaller authors, they'll keep a quantity, you know, in various um, fulfillment centers, but for the really big, you know, bestsellers where they're going to sell whatever a million copies or more, they don't. And so they have a system where, you know, based on what you're purchasing, it goes through, um, it's all a digital system and it goes through the factory in a specific way so that it can be printed on demand. And so this particular, um, manufacturing CEO took that model and modified it for garment making. And he, he ensured like, you know, they have the digital laser cutters for the fabrics with like mm -hmm. the giant tables that they roll the fabric out and they do everything's on the Gerber pattern system. So it's all laser cut, which is another great quality control um, method because you know that it's cut precisely every single every size every time it's not cut by hand so there's no mm -hmm. room really for error yeah but, as long as you as long as you spread the fabric correctly then, yes yeah. exactly <laughs> that's key and silks are, are tricky yeah um but uh but then he had a system for moving it through the various sewing stations based on the garment so that it could be efficiently sewn in a very short period of time with the specific customized options so it, he was, he really is a forward thinking person and understood that that could be the wave of the future if you could manufacture on demand quickly enough. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, I know so many, like so many of the brands that I work with, the made on demand model, either for sustainability or just, you know, to be more financially responsible and not produce excess inventory, like so many people are going towards that model. So it yeah. is very forward thinking. It is, it's super forward thinking. And, um, and, the, and the thing about this particular um, company is that I also wanted to be able to scale up because I thought, well, if I end up having like a showroom partner or I get a wholesale account, for example, and somebody wants to carry the line for customers to come in store, try on, and then place their customized order based on 
the silhouette and the size they choose, they can do that. We could still make it for them and then ship it to them in a, you know, a couple of weeks. But mm -hmm. if I needed to do larger quantities in order to have stores be able to carry it sort of in a showroom style model, I needed them to be able to, to do those in a short period of time and not have, you know, like a six month lead time or a minimum mm -hmm. quantity of a thousand pieces, et cetera. And so they were able to um, commit to that as well. So that really was a total blessing. Um, I will say that we have a couple of styles, the Magnolia dress and the Ingrid dress that have hand draping on the bodice and they are not able to do that. Now their seamstresses are capable of doing it, but just based on how they operate, they don't do a lot of hand work. Mm -hmm. So I have three other um, seamstresses that I work with for those, those orders. And so typically they take a little bit longer because those are made by a, one person by hand. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and that's, and that's something that, you know, as a designer, that was a learning curve for me because I had the vision of these garments that frankly <laughs> were, were kind of complicated. Um, and so are not able to just be made in sort of a standard garment manufacturing, you know, um, factory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is one thing where it's like, if you're not familiar with the like design and production side of the industry, like factories and, you know, seamstresses too are very niche in what their capabilities are yes. um, and what their machinery can, you know, can handle. Absolutely. Um, and it's yeah. kind of, it's sometimes tricky to find out what that niche is. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to do some, some asking of questions and digging around to find out. Absolutely. Is this the right spot for my garment? Absolutely. And, and I would have used my pattern maker because she also does, um, you know, she, she sews, obviously she does all the runway shows for some pretty big designers, but the, the problem there is that, you know, she treats each garment as a sample and she's very, mm -hmm. very expensive. So it doesn't make sense for an average person. I mean, I say average person, the dresses are still very high end. In my opinion, I would love to eventually to be able to get the price points down even further, but it just doesn't make sense to go with, you know, a couture sample maker. When I do have other seamstresses that I tested, I tested out a lot of people and then I found a few that were really, really accomplished. And so I use them and they're kind of scattered all over the South actually, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, and one more thing I wanted to mention on sustainability too, that is, um, that I'm pretty proud of is that when we do have excess fabric, it, it has to be at least a yard or more. But for example, if, if our dress requires a minimum of two yards to, to cut and make, then if we may have a roll where we have like one yard left and we can't use it, but we don't toss that. We actually partnered with a company. It's a fabric reseller. They're called Queen of Raw. And um, you can sell fabric through their online site. Uh, it, I mean, and they sell it, they sell like at the enterprise level, but they also sell to like students and crafters and various people. And so we resell all of our scrap pieces through that um, site. So there, there really is like this push to kind of have a zero waste. I mean, zero waste is almost impossible in reality, but we're as mm -hmm. close to that as we could possibly be. Um, I mean, the only things that are thrown away are tiny little cut pieces that come off of the original cutting for each individual dress. 
Yeah, that, that's amazing. I've, I've heard of Queen de Bra before. I've not bought stuff from them, but I, I love, like, for, for personal products myself, I like to buy my fabric from places like that. Yeah. Um, rather absolutely. than, like, going to Joann's or whatever, I refuse to go there. I know. Well, you can get great fabrics, like, for example, because I work with wholesalers, right? So I'm mm-hmm. working with wholesalers to buy the silks. So I usually just, when we sell that piece of yarding back, we sell it what we paid for it. So the retail, like the, you know, the individual is getting silk at like a wholesale price. Um, mm-hmm. That's really high quality. Uh, and yeah. And Stephanie Benedetto, she's the founder of queen of Ross. She's amazing and a total visionary. And it's really exciting to see like people like her and even the manufacturing, you know, partners, like uh, everything's sort of shifting towards this idea of more sustainability, but also like what's better for the consumer, right? I mean, what's Mm -hmm. better for the customer? So yeah, she's that, that's a great little company. I highly encourage people that are looking for uh, fabrics to go there. Cool. Yeah. I'll have to include a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'll let her know. She'll be thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) So I also want to back up a little bit. And you had mentioned about when you're starting your brand, like there are a few kind of like hiccups and and challenges of finding the right like team of people um, to either, you know, ask questions from or to, you know, find your pattern maker and sample makers and factories. Um, What were some of the things you learned in that process of, Um, like in going through that, that, you know, Mm -hmm. if you could tell yourself in the beginning again, would have helped you? Yeah, that's another really great question. Um, Well, so it's kind of goes back to what I was saying before. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I, I didn't ask probably all of the questions I should have in the beginning, although I did approach it again as a business person. So um, Mm -hmm. I would say, one of the biggest learnings and um, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think it's probably just part of life is that people will kind of say anything to get your business. Um, and that's unfortunate because what most people like myself, who, whether you're starting a new brand or any other type of small business, you're really just looking for someone to partner with that's going to you know, depending on what service you're, you're trying to get from them, whether it's like a web designer or, you know, in my case, a pattern maker or a seamstress or a factory, you really want them to be honest about their capabilities because Mm -hmm. um, otherwise all that's going to happen is you're going to work together for a short period of time and it's not going to work out well. And so in my case, I ended up having to like fire the first factory and, um, you know, it, it just was, it was just really unpleasant. It was a lot of wasted time and money um, for myself and for them, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's also like demoralizing. And I know that um, some of the people working for that particular company were very disappointed to see us go because I think they were excited about the concept and they also really, um, the vision for that particular factory and company was to sort of go a little bit more upscale instead of just making t-shirts or whatever else there was that they were making. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if they weren't capable of doing it, you know, they, we shouldn't have been an experiment. So, mm-hmm. um, so I would say that's, you know, that's looking back, I would probably try to, uh, do additional due diligence, but I'm not sure how I would necessarily go about doing that. But I think that like in an ideal world, I would do, 
uh, further due diligence on the companies before actually, you know, hiring. Um, so, and it, it may be additional references. I did get references, you know, which I think I always recommend if you're going to be partnering or hiring a company to do a service for you to, to get a fairly large number of references. Um, but one thing that I did do that I also would recommend for others if they're thinking of starting any kind of business is I put together a group of mentors. Um, and I was actually helped through a company or a company, it's actually a nonprofit called SCORE, which is part of the Small Business Administration. They, it's a program that they have that engages former executives. So people at very high levels at companies to mentor entrepreneurs. And I was able to find a couple of really valuable um, people that we've developed relationships. One is a gentleman who is like a national sales director for some very big brands, including like at one point, Ralph Lauren, Cole Haan, et cetera. And he um, really helped me when it came to like approaching retailers to carry the line or uh, online retailers to try to carry the line, but also gave a lot of advice about development of the brand and the brand image, et cetera, and, mater and marketing materials. And then I also, through that program score, um, met a gentleman who was the chief financial officer for um, a swimsuit line uh, miracle suit. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. Like I said, these are retired <laughs> executives. So some of the brands, some people may not have heard of, but that was a huge brand. Like, in yeah, like I recognize the, 19th, the name. Yeah. yeah. Like in the eighties and nineties. And he was their chief financial officer and worked very closely negotiating a lot of the deals uh, with their manufacturers. And so he had a lot of insight. Um, although I will say like this business model did stump him a little bit because he's like, that's not the way it's done. And I'm like, well, it's not, but it's moving in that direction. And I, I remember sending him a lot of information and articles about brands that were starting to do on demand and why, you know, made to order is mm -hmm. more environmentally friendly and kind of the, the wave of the future. And he was very intrigued and really took it all in stride. But, um, but I would say that, you know, for anybody starting out who's looking for you know, service providers, people to partner with. If you can surround yourself with some experienced advisors and run everything by them, that will be hugely valuable. Yeah, that's like, that's great advice. Um, how did, like, did that nonprofit score, like, connect you with people? Is, like, that what they did? Or did you, like, what did you do to reach out and ask these people to, be your mentor in these areas? Yeah. So the, so that particular, um, organization, you can just go onto their website and kind of type in, there's a couple different ways you can go about it, but you can basically do a search on the type of skill set that you're looking for that you need help mm -hmm. with. And it'll have a list of people. And if they're in your area, and they want to meet in person. I mean, now with COVID, who knows, but uh, you usually have like certain people want to meet in person and be very like hands-on. Other people are happy to just have an occasional phone call. Um, so you can kind of model it how you would like based on the individuals you contact. And of course, you know, not everyone's going to call you back or some people aren't going to be particularly interested. Um, 
there was, there was one gentleman that I called and, uh, you know, we did not hit it off. He was, he, he was very negative in my opinion. And, um, basically was, you know, told me that I was barking up the wrong tree. And so, (laughs) so I just graciously exited that conversation and just never called him back. Um, because Mm -hmm. you don't want to surround yourself with people that are going to, you know, you want good advice. And I'm not saying it always has to be, um, you know, you want, you want, right. You want sound, positive advice and constructive criticism. What you don't want are people, um, you know, trying to like tear down what you're trying to do. Um, because you you might, you want someone who sees the same vision that you do. Right. And even if they, even if they guide you maybe in a direction you hadn't considered before, that's great. But not to try to like shut you down. That's what I, I would say, you know, there's a lot of people that in, I think in most people's lives for various, you know, n- n- even if it's related to like just your career or maybe it's relationships that will always try to kind of tell you don't do it or, you know, be negative. And you've got to make the decision whether or not you're going to um, proceed. And so anyway, that I, that's kind of an overarching philosophy I have for the business and the brand. I, I call it my no jerk factors. <laughs> so I don't work with anybody uh, that um, that I don't like or that I, that gives me like a sinking feeling in my stomach when I'm talking to them. You know, I just said, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work with people that are excited to work with me and that um, at the very least have a positive outlook on life. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, you, you've talked a lot about how like you'd consider yourself primarily like an entrepreneur, um, you know, from the business end of fashion. Um, how do you kind of, so I guess, how do you stay grounded in kind of like your purpose and your goal as an entrepreneur um, from a business side and then just like personally and professionally for yourself? What are guide rails or values or goals that you have in that area that like keep you on track of like, this is my vision and this is what I um, am looking to do? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And, and um, you know, I, I would imagine if you ask 10 people, they probably have 10, 10 different answers to that question. But for me, it is very much sort of a gut, a gut check. Um, so obviously I have sort of my day-to-day, the way I structure, you know, my work and that, and that comes from, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the different positions I've had at, at different um, companies and nonprofit organizations. Like obviously you learn to, you know, work a certain way that you find most efficiently. And you, you learn that from, you know, colleagues, from supervisors, et cetera. So I definitely have like a structure to the way that I work um, throughout the week. And then I also obviously have like goals for, you know, the year or the season. I mean, we don't really adhere to fashion seasons because our styles are more evergreen. And so we, we have a more of approach mm-hmm. of like, you know, evergreen styles. We may change uh, colorways and such for various um, seasons, but the styles are meant to be sort of year round. Um, and so, so we do have, but I do have like, you know, certain, uh, you know, we have seasons like wedding season or we have holiday. And so we, d- I definitely structure work around all of those sorts of things. Um, but I also make sure I take mm-hmm. time off. So I'm married and um, I spend, my husband also has a very demanding career. And so we spend, you know, weekends 
together. And we also like, we, it's like religious, like we spend weekends together and we try, you know, we will check email. And obviously if I get an order in, you know, I'll, you know, I, I move it through the system because I don't want to have it any lag time um, for the customer, but we very, you know, we ensure that we're not like constantly on our phones. We're not constantly working 24 seven because we want to make sure that we, you know, maintain a, a good marriage. And so we spend time together on the weekends and we also, um, I own a horse and I love horseback riding and I actually got him into it <laughs> about a year ago. And so we do like horseback riding once a week, a lesson rather, um, once a week. And so you just have to carve out that sort of me time. And if you are married or you have a significant relationship, you know, that together time, um, and I, you know, we spend a lot of time, we have a couple cats, like we spend time with them, you know, we just try to have that break. It, it actually makes you more productive when you go back into sort of work mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does keep you, as you mentioned, like that word grounded is such a great word because it keeps you grounded in reality. Like you, you're not, you can become so absorbed in the minutia of work that that's all you ever think about. Like you, you, you know, eat, drink and sleep it. And there are times for that. Like when I was building this business, it was, it, it, it almost had to be that way, Mm -hmm. but now that the infrastructure is in place and it's, it's running, it's really, really important for me to be able to take those breaks because it inspires creativity and um, allows you to, you know, really kind of stay healthy and positive and excited about the business. It does, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it, it does. And I think, you know, having that balance is so good because, I mean, even, you know, talking about sustainability, like the, yes, there's like the ecological and ethical sustainability aspects, but also like for you to sustain yourself and to sustain running the business, like doing what you need to do to make sure you know, you have that downtime to reflect and like turn work off for a few days. Um, Like that's, that's just as important. It is. And I, and I, I, I believe that, you know, people say that a lot, you know, you read a lot of articles about it, you know, you hear about it a lot, but it's true. I mean, you, you really do have to do that. You have to have the sort of downtime or it does affect your ability to be, to operate at a really high level and to be as creative mm-hmm. and also find inspiration outside of the day-to-day work. It's interesting. Cause I mean, we love watching, we, we watch a lot of movies, old movies, in fact, a lot of old movies. And I can't tell you how many times I've been watching a movie with like Grace Kelly in it. And I see some dress and I go, Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's yeah, the fashion's amazing. Or, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, sometimes you forget, like you need to kind of get your head out of the day to day. And that actually then lends itself to something creative or healthy related to the business as well. So, mm-hmm. so true. So on that note, what does, like, what inspires your designs and like, what does your creative process look like? I know that's not, you know, the majority of what you're doing in your day, but kind of from the creative end, what does, you know, where do your designs um, like come from, your inspiration? Well, so um, 
as well, of course, actually uh, a lot of classic films. I do get a lot of ideas from classic films. When I, when I was in college, I used to wear a lot of vintage clothing. And um, in fact, even like party dresses, and you know, when I worked for the fashion um, agency, I used to wear a lot of vintage um, dresses in cocktail attire to our events and always had compliments on it because of course, again, it was like, nobody else was wearing that dress, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just always thought that this, the styles were so flattering. They really were meant to flatter a woman's body, regardless of whether you're curvy, you know, you, maybe you're well endowed up top, maybe you're well endowed down below. And just based on the, you know, the style, if you knew how to kind of dress yourself, you could really, look amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of vintage inspired, uh, aspects of the dresses for sure. And of course that obviously, like I said, I mean, I watch a lot of older films and, and will be inspired by, you know, something. Um, but, uh, also dresses that I've just had over the years, maybe they were, you know, a, a new dress purchase, but that they fit so well. Um, I used to wear a lot of Nicole Miller dresses and she, for, for whatever reason, they always fit me really well. Um, so, you know, looking at like various aspects of those types of dresses um, would inspire me as well. But a lot of times it's kind of a hybrid. Like I said, it's like, you, you know, you say, I say, Oh, I'm going to, I've been invited to a Kentucky Derby party. What do I want to wear to that? <laughs> and then I think, Oh, I want like a flowing skirt. Right. But it's going to be, uh, you know, this time, you know, that it's early May, so it'll be a little bit warm, probably maybe sleeveless, you know, if you're going to do a full skirt, you want a tighter bodice, maybe a V-neck, you know, I mm -hmm. kind of, kind of go through like, what would I wear? And then I, even though I'm not the best drawer in the world, I'm the sketching has, <laughs> believe it or not, that's not my forte either. It's like, sometimes kind of sad. Um, I've gotten better, but um, I'll like sketch out just sort of some ideas and then refine them over a period of time. And then a lot of times I'll also hire a um, technical sketch artist. So mm -hmm. that uses a computer to take the, my little drawings and kind of put them in the, um, in the digital form. And then we'll, we'll massage those a little bit so that it actually kind of looks like what I'm thinking about in my head mm -hmm. better than the, than the pencil drawing. Um, and then, so that's like sort of the early, early process, right? It's really just a little bit like, what, what do I start to put down on paper? And then what can I not stop thinking about? Cause that happens too, right. where uh -huh. you're like, you, you may do three or four or five dresses, but there's one or two that you just keep going back to. Cause I keep envisioning if that was actually sewn, I can't wait to wear it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm like, where can I wear that? Or this is for this party. I have a wedding coming up what do I want to wear? You know, where's the venue? What's the style that would really um, suit the venue in the event? So, so then once we get the technical drawings down, um, that's when I go and I meet with my pattern maker. Uh, and of course I have, you know, exhaustive notes about um, what I'm thinking in terms of fabric and lining and the structure. If there's any you know, if there's any corsetry or boning or what type of pleats. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes, and then there's, so I work with her on that. And then we create a muslin, which as you know, is, you know, the common next step, you create a muslin um, sample and 
usually there's a little tweaking of that, but sometimes I'll just bring in a fit model right away on that because for example, I was adding some sleeves to the Camilla dress because it's a current, the original design, it was sleeveless and they lent, it has a scoop neck and just a, a kind of a simple pleated skirt. It has like two pleats in the front and pleat in the back. And I thought, you know, you could add sleeves to this so easily, but I love like a three quarter sleeve. I think they're very elegant and a, and a fair number of my customers are over 40 and mm -hmm. women for some reason just don't like their arms. I think, I'm not sure why, but that's like one of the most hated <laughs> body parts apparently. Um, and so, but I think the lower arm, most people would agree usually looks great. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more the upper arm. I think women are self-conscious about, you know, not being toned or what, whatever. So, um, I thought let's add some sleeves to that. So we created a cap sleeve, a three quarter sleeve that has like a little split for mobility at the elbow. And then I also wanted to do a three quarter sleeve with a little ruffle. And the, and the first version, the ruffle, we did it like. I think it was like three inches. I mean, it was, it looked ridiculous. It was, it was huge. You know, it just looked floppy. So we brought, we, you know, we scaled it down and we kind of made it less of a ruffle and more of just like an accent. It kind of, it doesn't really like flare out a lot. It's not super roughly. It's just kind of more subtle. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the process too, is getting it on a person and seeing yeah. what it would actually look like if someone was wearing it. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So a lot of refinement happens at that stage. And then of course, we also begin to refine the fit because fit is really important. And um, this is another thing that I, you know, as somebody who does not have a fashion background had to kind of learn as I go, and I'm still learning, which is that, you know, silks, because they're not stretchy, they don't have, there's no forgiveness. So yeah. You, and they're, you really they're, uh, have a sheen on the surface so they don't hide any wrinkles like if it's wrinkled you 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 see all of that like any drag yes. lines and stuff like doesn't hide it at all no doesn't hide it at all and while when you're wearing it it's incredibly lustrous and there's no like there's no substitute right mm -hmm. it's so beautiful um, you have to, you're right. Consumers have to, I mean, customers have to actually recognize like it is going to have wrinkles. It's not going to, you know, hang like, like a polyester or some kind of a synthetic fabric. Um, but also when you're doing the fitting process, you have to make sure that it's going to fit a wide variety of shapes and figures because it doesn't have like a lot of stretch. Mm -hmm. So, so actually it's something that we've been looking at very closely, which is in introducing silks with stretch or possibly some fabrics that have stretch that may be a blend of, you know, polyester and silk or spandex and silk mm -hmm. um, to give a little bit of stretch. So there is some forgiveness and to, and to probably minimize to some extent, some of the um, wrinkles, but I say wrinkles lightly because you know if you steam it out before you put it on it's going to be gorgeous yeah but you know if you're, if you're sitting if you're sitting at a you know table eating dinner at a gala when you stand up you'll have a little crease but it'll fall out eventually mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and again it kind of adds to the natural beauty of the fabric um yeah so but you're you're astute to mention that because because customers do have to kind of recognize that it's you know it's like a linen or a cotton or it's a natural fiber mm -hmm. and it's more sustainable and breathable too so. Absolutely. I mean, it's so much more comfortable to wear than, you know, a synthetic fabric that will, 
make you sweat, um, mm-hmm. frankly, especially if you're dancing the night away. Yep. Yep. <laughs> totally. But, um, but yeah, so for the design process, I mean, that's that those are probably the main steps. I mean, and then once we get through the fitting process, which, you know, it can take one fit session or three plus fit sessions, depending on the complexity of the garment. Um, and that's when we then go into, um, you know, we finalize the pattern and I have it digitally graded for size so that we usually do a size six to start because that's kind of the middle size. And then we grade up mm-hmm. and we grade down for size. Um, and we, I really actually would, I, before COVID hit, we were making plans to increase the number of sizes that we offer, um, you know, plus, we want to add plus sizes, um, but those sizes require, they, you can't just grade up past a certain point. You actually really yeah. need to do like a separate, a separate fitting and pattern. So that was in the works, but it's, we've put the pause button on that simply because, because of the pandemic, our sales obviously have fallen off. People are not uh, going to large weddings or gala events or holiday parties, you know, it was Mm -hmm. very, very limited this year. So as a business person, we had to make some decisions on, you know, just putting a pause button on some things that were in development to manage, um, our budgets and, um, and also, you know, what, what are people going to want to wear in this kind of new, you know, world we are, we're hoping things do go back a little bit to normal, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see. So yeah, that's a little bit of a tangent, but no, I'm, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, what do you think is the future of more formal fashion like this, especially since, you know, we haven't been able to have those, you know, many large formal gatherings this mm-hmm. past year. Yeah. Well, so I would like to think that it actually lends itself to our business model, that people will start to understand that having like that one or, you know, that one long dress or those two cocktail dresses in your closet, ready to go is the way, is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And to not have to scramble and go shop for something at the last minute that you, you know, you buy because you have to have something and then you really don't even like it. And you may not even wear it again after you've gotten through that event. I'm hoping that people kind of start to think about things, um, you know, this quality over quantity concept and think about things more long-term um, because then again, you, you've got it and um, you, you're not in a position where when things do change and pivot, you're, you're kind of stuck or you don't have, you don't have the right garments in your closet ready to go. Mm-hmm. Because one thing, so the pandemic, what's interesting is, you know, people still got married. Oh they yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Right. They just didn't have the 150, 200 person wedding. They may have only had like 10 or 12 family members, mm-hmm. um, but those family members still wanted to, and let, you know, unless you totally switch gears and did like a backyard barbecue, um, those family members still wanted to put on something beautiful and go celebrate a loved one's special day. So mm-hmm. having, again, you know, you couldn't go to the mall and you couldn't, you know, it's just, I'm hoping that this concept, people like recognize the value of it more now than before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think time will tell. So, I mean, I'd be curious to, I know this is that you're asking the questions, but I'd be <laughs> no, curious. You can what, ask a question. <laughs> I'd be curious. Yeah. What, what is your take on all this? 
Um, I think it is, you know, like you said, I think people still are, have been wearing, um, you know, formal clothes to events. I mean, I, I was actually in two weddings this past year and, you know, mm. one was a backyard wedding, um, at a farm, her family farm, and she still wore her ball gown wedding dress. And, Good. um, I actually made my bridesmaid's dress, um, and wore it to the second wedding that I was in. Um, so great. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and I literally, those were the only two things I did in 2020 pretty much, <laughs> um, yeah. was those two tiny, you know, tiny weddings. Um, but yeah, people still dressed up, even if it wasn't like the big, you know, big church or fancy venue that they were originally planning on getting married at. Um, yeah. So I do think there will always be a need for that and people want to dress up and be fancy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's like more those smaller or like less big life event type gatherings, you know, like just, you know, Christmas party that those didn't happen in person, at least in, in my circles. So there's like fewer events for that but I think people are really going to crave that going forward and I do totally agree that um the pandemic has really shifted people like the consumer mindset towards Mm -hmm. more like you know they're in their homes all the time they see all the stuff that they have like I'm pretty sure everyone cleaned out their closet you know early in 2020 and was like do I really wear half of this stuff probably not um and just seeing kind of the like the overconsumption and overproduction mm-hmm. of the fashion industry, um, mm-hmm. both from people in the industry and just consumers realizing like, is this really necessary to have like, you know, six collections a year or more when, you know, and, and just like the whole sales and, you know, like retail schedule of fashion is a little bit like out of touch with how we actually live our lives. And so I think that's going to become more aligned and consumers will value more the quality over quantity and purchase, make purchase decisions based on their values and kind of an alignment with the brands that share those values more than just um, like, I like this $20 dress. I'm going to buy it and wear it once and throw it out. Yeah. I mean, I hope that that's the case. I I get the sense that that is, I mean, that was something that was already starting to happen. This idea Mm -hmm. of sort of investment dressing and buying, you know, really good pieces. And seasonless. Yeah. Yeah. Seasonless pieces. And then you can always, you know, get, you know, enjoy and embrace the trend through accessories or shoes or handbags or other ways, or Mm -hmm. just a few pieces that you would throw, you know, add in but you maintain those wardrobe staples um, on an ongoing basis. And, and to me, it's interesting because the, the formal wear um, business kind of moved into this, into the sort of fast fashion, throwaway fashion category, whereas before it had not been. Mm-hmm. And I really hope we have that p- pendulum swing back the other way because, you know, once, if you invest in a beautiful piece that, that is flattering and timeless and that you can wear year after year, it, it's totally worth it. And, mm-hmm. and it's really, um, it's so rewarding just to be able to, I, I can't tell you if this has happened to me, 
is that when people say, oh, we've got this party, this thing is happening, obviously pre-pandemic, but you know, two weeks from now, like you don't, again, you don't have to go scramble for that thing. You're like, oh, great. I think I'll wear the black dress or maybe the purple one, you know, mm-hmm. and then you know that it looks great and you may just get a new pair of shoes or switch up like a wrap or something. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's a really like, good feeling. We need to normalize um, wearing the same dress more than once to big events. Cause I think that's yeah. something like in the formal space where it's like, well, I wore that dress, you know, to last year's holiday party. I can't wear it again, but it's like, why not? It's a nice dress. It looks good. Right. You, so why not wear it again? Like, yeah. And I think that needs to be like, don't remember it, that exactly. you wore it before. Yeah. I mean, we all think that we do. And I think, you know, some women might, but I think I, frankly, I don't think a single man will remember that you wore the, the, the same dress. I mean, maybe it's possible, but it just, yeah. And I don't think that most people, as you said, I don't think most people really think much of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's certainly better than showing up at an event and having multiple people in the same dress. I mean, how many times, you know, all those magazines were doing for a long time. I don't know if they still do that. Who wore it best when mm-hmm. the celebrities <laughs> show up in the same dress? And that I've seen that happen. And it's really horrible because there's invariably one person looks fabulous and the other person does not. Mm. (laughs) So you just want to be in your own dress. That's the perfect color for your, you know, your skin tone and your hair. And um, that's like tailored. I mean, that's another thing, our dresses. So we don't do made to measure yet because the technology has not been there for us to be able to, you know, efficiently do that. Yeah. Correct. Efficiently do it and do it so that the customers are going to be really pleased. So, you know, we go through this fit process so that the fit is very good. But if you need slight modifications, you know, we still recommend going to a tailor and having that done in person. Mm -hmm. And it's worth the extra, you know, few dollars that you'll spend to have it tailored to your body so that you look like, I mean, you can, with a well-tailored garment, you will look like a million dollars. I totally agree. So, yeah, I mean, that's why Jackie O used to tailor her t-shirts, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I, I do for mine. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Like it makes you look amazing. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> um, so I have just a few more questions. I'm, uh, I'm curious, okay. like what are like, I know your, your dresses are very high end and I've even seen some of the pictures on your site that show some of like the internal construction and stuff, but mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about some of the, those types of details that you include in your dresses that aren't typically found in like your average cocktail dress you find in a store? Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for asking about that. And thank you for, for noting it. So Um, For our, actually our most popular dress is the Lily dress and it is a strapless uh, dress in, that comes in silk file and it has, um, you know, fitted bodice, but it has a a, a sort of fuller, more full skirt. It has a a few different types of pleats around the skirt to kind of give it some fullness. Um, And it comes standard in T length, uh, but you, but it makes a beautiful ball gown full length. Um, we had one client um, recently buy that and it is, was just stunning. And um, we've all, you can also obviously get it cut shorter. We had a, a social influencer we worked with who is very petite. I think she's five, two. 
And so we had that cut just below, like really kind of right at the knee for her. Mm -hmm. So she wouldn't feel like she looked, you know, squat because T-length just was not flattering on her. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is our most popular dress and it has an interior corset. And what I mean by that is it's not just boning, which you can sometimes find dresses, um, cocktail dresses in department stores and various boutiques that have boning in the bodice. Mm Um, so we do have boning in, in the bodice and it is, um, steam shaped to, you know, be curvy. Um, and, but, and it will actually, when you wear it, if the heat of your body kind of helps it to conform to your individual shape, which is really nice, Yeah. but it's built into an interior corset with a separate zipper. So when you put on the dress, you, you know, you slip into the dress, you actually zip up the corset first and that corset has two pieces of like a stretch mesh fabric two panels of a stretch Mm. mesh mesh fabric and one two three four I think four it's either four I should know this uh, (laughs) it's either four or six pieces of boning around the corset and so you could wear a strapless bra if you wanted to or if you wanted to um, enhance your Mm-hmm. bust line, but it's completely unnecessary um, because you get a lot of support from that corset. And then of course you also z- do the standard zipper for that dress. And both of those are located on the side. And we did that because we didn't want to have a zipper visible from the back of the dress. Like mm-hmm. the silhouette of the dress is very elegant. So by having a side zipper, when you have your arm down, I mean, you can't see the closure of the mm-hmm. dress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the most popular dresses and it fits like a dream because it has a full skirt. So regardless of your size from the waist down, it's very flattering. And then it hugs your, your, um, body from the waist up. So again, very flattering. And one of the options we have on that dress is also a Grogain ribbon strap that ties at the shoulder. Oh, nice. So for, yeah, it's really cute. Um, so for people that don't want to be hundred percent strapless and like a little something, um, you know, sometimes it just helps sort of frame the upper body and the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, ha- you can add that and it's easy to actually add those and then tuck them down in if you do want to go uh, strapless. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that dress also has another option, which is a silk organza ruffle along the bodice. It's about a one inch, one and a half inch um, wide ruffle that is very feminine and adds a little something and also brings the neckline up a little bit. So you would, you wouldn't have any cleavage at all. Um, if you added that little ruffle, um, and, uh, I'm trying to think what are the other options on that one, but those are some of like the details. Oh, and that one comes with pockets. You can add pockets to it, which I highly recommend because mm-hmm. who doesn't want to dress with pockets? Right. And you, and you can't even tell like they're there. So you use it when you want to, you don't, when you don't, mm-hmm. um, so that's, so that dress is, like I said, one of our most popular and has a lot of attention to detail for support and structure. Uh, and then we also have another dress, the Ingrid, which is, uh, has a hand draped bodice and a velvet skirt, which also looks fabulous full length. And that has a little interior corset as well. It's constructed entirely differently though. It actually has sort of a bra cup, um, corset structure as well as a, um, a more, it's like a nylon 
mesh that's a much more stiff net mesh. So it's a bit more of a traditional actual corset, but same thing still has a separate zipper um, so that when you zip it up, you know, you're, you're kind of contained in there and then the dress zips up separately so that you have a smooth um, closure for the dress and it's basically like a built-in undergarment. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of the dresses are fully lined, like top to bottom. Um, and they're typically lined in um, a, like a, what's called like a China silk mm -hmm. or a silk habitat, which is very thin uh, silk, but it keeps your body really cool and or warm, depending on the, the ambient temperature. Mm -hmm. um, and it really helps you stay comfortable when you're moving around. And, you know, yeah, a lot it's of very soft. Ready, it is very soft. It's so fluid. Um, and it also helps keep the garment like keep the movement of the garment to be really pretty and, and soft. It doesn't like add any weight or any bulk to the garment. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking, I'm looking at the dresses now. I'm like, what else? <laughs> so the Magnolia dress, which is the uh, silk organza pleated skirt and hand draped bodice, um, that one, the draping on the waistline actually is horizontal whereas the draping on the, um, the V-neck is more vertical and that's all hand, hand draped and hand tacked. But what's really nice about the draping on the waist being horizontal and the way that it's gathered is it's also a little bit forgiving in mm -hmm. the sense that you know, if you have a little pooch or you know something, most women have a little pooch, let's face it. Like even if you're very slim, you know, everybody eats cake every now and then. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, and that kind of, it makes you look like you have the tiniest waist, but it kind of conceals that little bit of pooch because right below that, you know, you have your, your pleats, but without adding bulk, right? Mm -hmm. So, because it's all silk and silk organza. Um, so that, that hand draping and hand tacking, it's, you know, it's not flush to the body. It gives a little bit of volume, but not to the point where it adds really, you know, inches or um, makes you look heavier than you are. So we put a lot of thought into those sorts of details. It may sound like sort of silly or even vain, but I mean, every woman wants to look her best when she's going to an important event. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, so we think about those things like, is this going to be flattering on most people? And where do most people have, you know, their pain points? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Cool. So I think that's some of the major details that we like to incorporate. Yeah, it sounds like you really do put a lot of thought into the small details, which, I mean, those are the things that really make a garment stand out, I think. It's it's those last, you know, the last 10% makes 90% of the difference. Oh, completely. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? One value. Mm. <sighs> That's a hard question. Oh, I, I, I wonder what other people have said. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun to hear. It is fun to hear, right? Because what's stumping me is value, like value, right? Or so, like one thing, one thing that you yeah. care about that you want people to know and also care about. Okay, fair enough. Well, and so this, this, maybe this is kind of a value as well, but I would just say it's also kind of what the brand like evokes, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and I'm kind of wavering between two different words, but I will say one and, uh, and it kind of, it go, it, it's related to when you wear our dresses. So again, important events, you know, maybe it's a, a date, a gala, a wedding of a loved one, maybe your bridesmaid. Um, so I would just say class. Nice. That's yeah, that again, that was kind of the impetus for the dresses. Like I, when I was shopping myself, I couldn't find anything that made me feel really classy. And that's how I like to portray. That's how I like to put myself out there mm -hmm. with class. It's, you know, it's about how you feel about yourself and it's about how others perceive you. So mm -hmm. I think when you're choosing a garment, um, you know, for any occasion, even if it's like a job interview or, you know, I don't know, going to the gym, you know, yeah, stay classy. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. Uh, where can people find out more about you and Bespoke Southerly online? Well, definitely, we have a lot of information uh, on our website, of course, which is www.bespokesouthernly.com. Um, and of course, we have an Instagram uh, page and feed as well as a Facebook page and feed. So, and it's all bespoke, it's all, you know, backslash bespoke southerly. So they can do that. And then, of course, I love to hear from customers. I actually work with our customers one on one. We're still small enough that I'm able to do that. And I really enjoy doing that because I get to know them a little bit. And I also want to ensure that they are 100% happy with the garment. Um, and sometimes they have follow-up questions about, you know, cleaning or spot cleaning. And so I, I stay in touch with them um, individually. So I have no problem if someone wants to shoot me an email. Um, there's contact information on our website. And I would love to hear from anybody, even if they're not buying a dress, but they just have a question about something. Oh, great. I will include a link to all those places in the show notes as well. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. This was fun. Oh, I really good. enjoyed chatting yeah, with you. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you for good, taking the good. time today. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.